and you do know I have a heart for the lost. There are going to be some people coming in at 11, 11, 15, and I'm going to feel really bad for them, so I may just keep preaching just so they don't feel bad. Would that be okay? <laughs> so when I heard that Romans chapter, or Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 was going to be pre- pre- preached on a number of times, I thought, okay, where else can I go? And interestingly, I didn't even think about this till the other night, but I chose Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, and I thought, isn't that ironic that we were Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, talking about going for the gold. I selected Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, going for the gold. This may be a God thing, you think? Amen? Let's stand as we read verses 1 and 2 of Romans. Here we go. Let's share together here. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Hey, you did a great job. You can be seated if you would, please. You know, being out of the pulpit all of this time, it's given Marcia and myself a chance to sit in and listen to a lot of pastors preach. And, and let me tell you, there are a lot of good pastors out there preaching God's word. And that just pleases me no end. And yet, most times when I hear the pastors preach, I think to myself, you know, that's a great sermon, and it's good teaching, and there's real meat here, and yet, they need to get it across to the people they're preaching to. You know, so many people get up here, and we preach, and we preach, and we preach, and and you all sit there kind of like, okay, pastor, whatever you just said is fine, whatever that was. This morning, I come hoping to make this relevant to you, hoping that that you get it, not just that you endured 25 minutes of sitting there, but that you really get it. When we're talking about going for the gold, what was so fun for me in that, I was thinking, okay, if I was able to preach from any passage of God's word, where would I go? And there are beautiful scriptures all over the scripture, over the Bible. But I kept coming back to this Romans chapter 12 because there it tells us as individuals, as believers, what to do. I don't know about you, but I like it when God's word tells me what to do. Do you know why I like that? Because I don't have to wonder then. I don't have to question, is this really of God or is this of Satan? Is this of God, or am I just making things up? In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we are told what to do. But there's only one problem with that. I need more than just being told what to do. I need what? How to do it. And what is so beautiful about so many passages of Scripture is they will tell us what to do, and then they will tell us how. And that's where verse 2 comes in. Now, In this passage, 1 and 2, we get some stuff that really is good. 
And I want to make sure that by the time you leave here that you have this good stuff and that you apply it to your life. Let's look. Well, I, I won't even have him put up the verse yet. But verse 1, do you remember how that started? Don't put that up. I don't want them cheating. <laughs> how does verse 1 begin? Therefore. What does therefore always mean to us? It was something there before. Therefore means therefore. Because of something that took place ahead, then this is what's going to happen. Now, we're going to be challenged here in these two verses to something that may not look very pretty. In fact, it may be something that is a little bit scary as we think about what we are to do. The good news is that when Paul uses the word therefore, he goes back into Romans and says, you remember all that other stuff that I've written to you about? By the way, if you were here in 2004, I preached from Romans. I preached from Romans. And I preached from Romans. The reason I say it that way is Romans just drags on and on and on. If you've studied it, for the first seven chapters, you're feeling like a worm. You're feeling terrible because it tells what mankind is all about, what we are like. And it isn't until about chapter 8 that we begin to get to see that there is an answer, that there is a positive thing that comes from this. And, and by the time we get to chapter 12, it's like, yahoo, we made it. There was only one problem back in 2004. I got so tired from preaching from Romans, I stopped with chapter 8. <laughs> now I get to go to chapter 12. Now we get the good stuff. Now, understand 1 through 7 is really good stuff. It talks about election. No, no, not the election that's coming up. It talks about sanctification, whatever that means. It talks about justification, whatever that means. And once you've figured out all of that, then you figure out we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we know what that means. But now we get to chapter 12. And he starts out, therefore. But we got to go back to chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11. Because for us to go and do what Paul tells us in chapter 12, we got to have some basis for this. We have to understand that this isn't just somebody, Paul, telling us, but this is God who is communicating through Paul to us. If you will, put up chapter 11. Begin with verse 33. Listen to what it says. By the way, if you're kind of like me and this is kind of strange to you what this is all saying, I got it in easy version here. I'll share with you in a moment. For Paul writes, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him 
are all things. To him be the glory forever. And you all said, Amen. Amen. Now, let me read to you what that means. Otherwise, you're going to get 10 more minutes of sermon, me explaining it to you. This is from the Living New Testament. This is how they translate that passage. Oh, what a wonderful God we have. How great his wisdom and knowledge and riches. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his methods. For who among us can know the mind of the Lord? Who knows enough to be his counselor and guide? And who could ever offer to the Lord enough to induce him to act? For everything comes from God alone, everything lives by his power, and everything is for his glory. To him be the glory evermore. You got that? What's that telling us about God? Evermore. It's going to last forever what God can do. What else does it tell us? We, we can't understand. I mean, you think you may have an understanding of God. Well, yeah, you do. Probably about that much. And I'm being generous there. There's so much to God that we can't even understand. The plans that God has are, are far beyond what we as humankind can take. See, the exciting news is we don't have to understand all of this. All we have to do is know who we are trusting in who has control all of this. Does that make sense to you before I go on? In that case, let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, because we're going to be asked some pretty tough things here. He's going to put that up here on the screen pretty soon. Otherwise, I'm going to have to grab my Bible and go from there. There it is. So therefore, because all of those things that I've said through the first 11 chapters, and by the way, therefore, because of the greatness of our God, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Okay, why do we need God's mercy? <laughs> why don't we? Is that your answer? I didn't quite expect that reaction from you, but, but you got it, don't you? You see, the Bible says in Romans, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so what's being said there and done to us is, you know, on your own, you're not going to make it, folks. Do you understand that? You're not going to make it. Try as hard as you want to try. You are not going to make it. But in view of God's mercy, there's a chance. In fact, there's more than a chance. There is your hope because of the greatness of God. You see, so far I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I may not be so hot, but my God is wonderful, and I'm in good hands. I, I told Dan McClung, where are you, Dan? Where'd you go? Back that way, right there. I told Dan McClung, state farm agent, I said, Dan, I'm going to be pushing that other insurance company by talking about how good a hands we are. We're in good hands with God. I don't remember what the other insurance company's name was, so we won't go there. All state, did I? Oh, I didn't say that. I did promise him I'd end in State Farm, though, just so he knew. Sorry, Laura. I mean, here we go. See, we're in good hands. In fact, it's almost like 
we're looking for recommendations. We get to Romans chapter 12, and we get all of this stuff, and we can say, well, okay, I know what you want me to do, but can I trust the good hands? And the end of Romans chapter 11 tells us there's no doubt. We can trust the good hands. So in view of God's mercy, to offer, and let me stop there again, the offer here means to give, to give totally. And the interesting thing, and this may not excite you at all, but it excites me, this is in the aorist tense. And you're going, oh, great, that's good, yeah. You know how long it's been since I've had English and I didn't understand it then? Why should I remember it and understand it now? The aorist tense gives us the sense that this is something that happens once, just once, it does not happen over and over and over again. Why is this so important to us? Well, because we are asked to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. When you've been to church or maybe somebody's talked to you who's a Christian and they talk to you about faith in Jesus Christ and they say to you, if you come and accept Jesus in your life, your life will be changed forever, period. All you have to do is ask once for Jesus to come in. It's not an over and over and over thing. It's a one-time thing. See, when I was younger, I, I didn't understand that. And maybe you've heard, some of you, if you can remember that far back, when I'd share my testimony with you. And when I came to the Lord, I was in this youth group, and, you know, I was a very spiritual young man. I went to church with my mom and dad, and... It bored me to death. But I went to youth group, of course, to be very spiritual, right? Do you remember why I went to youth group? The blonde cheerleader who came to my house and the quarterback football player of one of the high schools. They came together and said, Steve, how would you like to come to our youth group? Yeah. <laughs> what do you do at youth group? I really didn't care if they were going to be there. Oh, we play volleyball and study the Bible and learn about Jesus. Volleyball? Okay, I'll be there. What were those other things we do? And never mind, I don't care about those. That's why I went to youth group. Because of the blonde cheerleader, because of the volleyball, and because of this quarterback on the football team. And I remember one weekend we went on a retreat. And in that retreat I heard a speaker talking about coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And he was talking about how if you give yourself to Jesus, that he will enter in and he will be with you. And I thought, hey, that sounds pretty good, I guess. I think I'll try it. And so I went up and I bowed down and they led a prayer and what I'd done, I'd asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. Yahoo, wonderful. You know, I had heard by going to youth group that when Jesus comes in, it changes everything. That when Jesus comes in, the fireworks go off and the stars start to sparkle and, and life is just wonderful. And I asked Jesus to come in that night and the next morning I felt no different than I had the day before. And I figured I, I must have done this wrong. So I, I better ask Jesus to come in again. And so I tried a different position. So I tried that the next day, you know, we went home, it still was the same. I thought, I'm still doing something wrong. So 
One day I would kneel and pray. The next day I'd stand and pray. I laid down and prayed. I, I prayed short prayers. I prayed long prayers. I used different words. And, and every time, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, come into my life. I was fed up. Two weeks of that, I went into the pastor. I said, what's going on here? You know, they said that when Jesus comes in, it changes everything. They said, all I have to do is ask him to come in, and, and he comes in. And he said, Steve, do you know where the book of Revelation is? I knew Genesis. I knew Revelation. I said, sure I do. He says, turn to Revelation. And he told me what verse, chapter 3, verse 20. And do you know where that is? I figured, must be the third chapter in, right? And if I find that, must be the 20th verse down, right? Sure. So I went to Revelation 3.20. He said, read that to me. And I read, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door and comes in, I will eat with them and they will eat with me. And he says, Steve, you're a pretty smart guy. I knew right there he wasn't too smart himself. <laughs> I said, Steve, you're a pretty smart guy. Where does it say Jesus will be when you ask him to come in? Oh, well, it says he's going to come in because I asked him to. And he said, that's right. He says, Steve, do you trust God? Do you think God knows what he's talking about? Well, I figured the answer must be yes. And I said, yeah, I, I, I do. He says, if he tells you that when Jesus comes in, that he has come in, do you believe that? And I and he says, so from now on, don't ask him to come in. You're insulting him. He's already in. That's like somebody coming to your house and you ask them to come in and they come in and five seconds later you say, well, come in. And they're here, already in. Oh, no, no, come in. No, I, I'm really in. Come in. I said, okay. And from that point on, he said, from now on, thank him for being there. You see, this, this offer idea, offer your bodies, it's a one-time thing. Offer your bodies, bring yourself to him, and come in. Now, I get that part. But then it says, offer my body. And I, I look at me and I think, well, why does he want this body? Why does he want your body, right? I could go into more detail if you want me. But I'm thinking, you know, this body's getting old and it can't move like it used to and it doesn't remember so well and it just goes on and on and it hurts and why would he want this body so I thought okay I know I know if I work on this body a little bit maybe it would be better for him then so maybe I, I work out and 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 build my muscles and thinking okay God now I have something to give to you or maybe I decide, you know, I'm going to go down to the store and buy a whole bunch of that stuff you goof on your face. Shame on you guys. You shouldn't do that. Ladies, I'm not mentioning you at all because, well, why not? What do they do to me? Kick me out? Yeah, you ladies too. You know, we spend all this money to look good and to feel good. We take all these pills to feel good. Jesus says, you know, I'm not interested in any of that. What I'm interested in is that you bring your body as a living sacrifice.
sacrifice. Now, now let's talk about that living sacrifice thing. And, and by the way, this is good news. Yeah, because what's the alternative? Bringing our bodies as a dead sacrifice. And that's what they did in the Old Testament. You know, they would bring their sheep, their lambs, and their goats, and, and their doves, and so on, and they would offer these, and then they would kill them. And they'd spread the blood on the altar. Aren't you glad we are not called to be dead sacrifices? He calls us to be a living sacrifice. So what does that take on our part then? What that takes is our desire to do that kind of thing. He doesn't say, you have to do this. He says, bring your bodies. Offer them as a living sacrifice. You've heard the, the hymn, Just As I Am. You know, you younger ones, that probably haven't heard that. Billy Graham's day, you know, they always ended with Just As I Am. Giving the significance of God calls us to come, to offer ourselves just as we are. We don't have to fix ourselves up. We can never be good enough to please God on our own doing. We come, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. But then look what it says. Holy and pleasing to God. Now, wait a minute. I, I just thought about my body. I, I thought about my mind. And God wants me to bring that. He wants it to be holy and pleasing. I don't think that works that way. Because then we're back to the, okay, if I just fix me up enough, if I make me smell enough, look good enough, if I'm strong enough, then maybe I can come and be holy and pleasing. There's only one way to be holy and pleasing to God. And how do we do that? We offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Because it's only then that when Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross, shed his blood for us, that the sins were washed away and we became holy and pleasing in the sight of God. And that is good news. Do you understand that? That is only through that way, not if we make ourselves good enough, not if we do all the right things. By the way, do you realize coming to church does not save you? Do you realize that? Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't come to church. Dick, please, don't, don't tell the pastor I said that. Do you realize that reading your Bible does not save you? Do you realize that praying does not save you? Do you realize that wearing a robe in the sanctuary to preach does not save you? <laughs> what, Catherine? What are you doing over here? <laughs> uh, it was always fun with Catherine's husband, Bob. Every time I'd finish preaching and come out, he'd be out there waiting and says, where's your tie? He gave up on robes way, way long ago before that. You see, friends, none of those man-made things are things that save us. What saves us is by bringing ourselves, offering ourselves as that holy 
sacrifice. Wow. And that's great news because we can do that. We just can't on our own make ourselves holy and pleasing to God. Then look at the next section. This is your true and proper worship. You want to worship God? Then bring yourself to God. I mean, this is worship what we're doing today, and singing is worship. But you know, God would be so much better off with us if we had all come with hearts just wanting God. We could just sit here wanting God, and oh my goodness, without a word preached, without a word sung, God would be so happy knowing that who we are is his. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, so this is what we are to do. Got that? We are to offer our bodies one time as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and that is our true and proper worship. Now, he goes in the next verse to tell us how to do this. Thank goodness. Let's look at verse 2. Do not conform. What does conform mean? Fit in. Change yourself to be a part of the world. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Now, you remember when we talked about offer, and that was in the aorist tense, and that means it's a one-time thing. This word, conform, is in the present tense. And the meaning behind that is this is something we do over and over and over and over again. So when it says do not conform, it means don't you conform today or tomorrow or next week or next month. Tell you what. You don't even conform this next moment to what the world's all about. This is something that we can do. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, I've lived this life long enough that I know it's not easy to not do that. But he says, do not conform to the pattern. The Greek word for pattern here is schema. And guess what comes from schema? Schemes. The schemes of this world. Do you realize there's another force at work in the world other than God? And do you realize this other force, Satan, the devil, has many schemes? In our Bible study on, on Friday, we were just talking about uh, uh, the Last Supper, that time together when Jesus watched, washed the disciples' feet. And uh, we're told there that Judas Iscariot had made a deal with the devil. And they said, well, why Judas Iscariot? And I thought, well, Judas had a couple of things either going for him or not going for him. One, he liked money. Two, he wanted power. And I think the devil came to him and said, you know, Judas... If you do what I tell you, we can force Jesus to come and be that military leader that you're wanting. Defeat the Romans and you zealots will take over. And by the way, you're going to make some money in the in-between time. I think you can sell this to the Pharisees. You see, the devil had schemes. The devil has schemes for us too. He knows where we are weak. And maybe it isn't those two things. But maybe it's something else. But be transparent by the renewing of your mind. Okay, 
the renewing of your mind. When your library card, you know, becomes invalid, what do you have to do? You go down and renew it. What do you have to do to renew it? Ask, go, just do it, right? Doesn't cost you any money. You just go and say, my library card no longer is a good, valid, uh, would you renew it? It takes action on your part. So what do we do in renewing our minds? Well, we've got to figure out what pleases God here. If I'm going to renew my mind, that means i got to get to a source that knows what my mind needs. How do I do that? Go to church would be one. Didn't I say earlier we didn't have to go to church? <laughs> to be saved. But we go to church to renew our minds. Hopefully I'm renewing your minds. Probably saying, good, I'm glad he's not here anymore. So we renew our minds and action on our part. Going to church will help that. What, what other ways can we renew our minds? Pray. I mean, if you got the God we read about in chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, uh, that's a good place to get in touch with, right? So to pray. Does that save you that you pray? No, but it helps you renew your mind to get on the same page with God. What else can we do? Study God's word. You know, I, I, I hate to admit this, but I think it was three weeks ago. I don't hate it, I'll just tell you. Three weeks ago, I was playing in a softball tournament over the weekend. Usually I don't play in the softball tournaments, uh, partly because they're usually Saturday and Sunday. And I'd prefer not to play on Sunday, although I'd do it. I did it. And one of the things I did that day before... You know, I went. In my quiet time, I, I prayed, Lord, you know, I, I'm going and doing this thing. Use me where you see I can be used. You know, I should be doing that every day. In fact, numerous times a day. But I forget, okay? I'm human, okay? I need to be renewed, okay? But I'm retired, so I don't have to do any of that. <laughs> I like your theology. <laughs> In fact, I may just sit down now. And, <laughs> and so I, I went to the softball game, and, and of course the guys whose team I play on know I'm a retired pastor. And so can you imagine them giving me a bad time? And they were giving me a bad time about, well, why aren't you in church, pastor? And, of course, I made some snide comment back, which I don't remember, and I wouldn't tell you anyway if I did. <laughs> but somebody, a wife of one of the players on one of the other teams, heard this. And so she comes up to me and says, are, are you a pastor? I said, well, I am. I'm retired. She goes, oh, you know, I feel so far away from God. And I, I just, life's so hard for me, and I, I just don't know what to do, and and, you know, she went on and on and on, and I'm thinking, wow, Lord, you act fast, don't you? <laughs> I like this. And so I talked to her, and I, she said, you know, I, I just don't feel like God is there anymore. And so I said, you know, have you asked Jesus to come into your life as your Lord and Savior? Oh, yes, I did. So where is Jesus now? 
well, I don't know. I just don't feel very close to God. I said, no, no. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you ask him to come in, he is there with you. The problem is, is you are pulling away and not doing the things that you should be doing. Sound familiar? So what can I do about that? I said, well, are you in a church? Well, I, I am, but I haven't been for a while. I said, you know, with what you're going through in your life, you really need to be around a body of believers where they can support you and, and lift you up. And I said, are, are you in a small group? Well, once I was. I said, are you now? Oh, no, I'm not. Well, that's another thing. You need to get with some other women who are strong believers so that when you get to this place in your life, you can go to them and say, hey, I just need you to pray for me and to hold me. Oh, okay. Do you do Facebook, she said. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> I said, well, I look at it once in a while, but no, I don't do Facebook. <laughs> do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then... Notice what happens then, or therefore, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You know, when I was pastoring, I'd keep people coming in all the time and saying, if I just knew what God's will was for me, I would do it. If, if, I, if I could just hear from God, then, then I, I would be a better Christian. And I says, do you read the Bible? Well, yeah, sometimes. I said, I, I bet that you could figure out 90% of what God wants for you by reading his word. You don't need to have this special on high thing coming down on you to figure it out. There's enough in God's word to keep you busy for the rest of your life as to what his will is to be able to test and approve what God's will is. You know, if you are walking with God, if you're resisting the world, then you're in touch with him and your chances of knowing and approving what God's will is, is wonderful. And it's saying, it's good stuff. Pleasing and perfect will. Wow. Okay. So there we go. We have what to do, we have how to do it. So, what have I left off? Anything? What? Do it? Did somebody say do it? <laughs> wow! Otherwise, what I've just spent, how many other minutes I've spent up here, is no good at all if you file it away and say, oh, yeah, it's all right. Oh, we have something to talk about at lunch now. If you take this, and you do it, hmm. So the conforming is an everyday thing, an every moment thing. Do not conform, you know, over and over and over again. The renewing your mind is in the present tense also an everyday and every moment type of thing. That's where we begin. That's where we start. Let me close with two thoughts here, and they're, they're short. 
<laughs> yeah, they always are. <laughs> the first is, if we find ourselves doing what we've just talked about, then you as Christians can live in this world, but not of this world. Do you understand what that means? All of us are in this world. We can't get away. Well, we can get away, but that's probably not good. We're all in this world, but we do not have to be of the world. We do not have to fall prey to the schemes of this world. And the second is just what we read. Then we will know the good and perfect will of the Father. There's a story. This is an old one. There's a story about this chicken and this pig. And they're walking along the road together and they're talking and they come to this restaurant and they have the special of the day. And it's a ham and egg breakfast. <laughs> and the chicken says to the pig, Mr. Pig, that sounds pretty good. Why don't we go in and partake? And the pig looks at the chicken and says, well, for you, Mr. Chicken, it's a donation. For me, it's a total commitment. <laughs> very old, very old. My friends, God is not looking for a donation from us. He's looking for a total commitment. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Oh, my, thank you. Thank you that you love us that you have grace for us, and that you instruct us that we might be pleasing in your sight. Help us to not just hear, but help us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.